Prior to joining that, Danielle worked as an editorial writer and columnist at the Calgary Herald for six years and has been a host of Global Sunday, a national current affairs television talk show. Uh, this week we have a uh, politician, and next week if you uh, want to continue gambling, uh, our speaker will uh, be speaking on should we be teaching something about gambling in the schools. And uh, Dennis Connolly, who has been, uh, who is an Australian, who has a degree in mathematics and written books on the probability of loss, uh, and has been in Lethbridge since he came here 43 years ago. He's one of the longest-serving members of the University of Lethbridge staff, will be the guest speaker, and that's next week. Uh, you all came here to hear Daniel Smith, so I just have one reminder Please ensure that you have $10 in the um, basket on the table and someone will check it so that the person collecting the money can just go around and pick up uh, the container. Without further ado, Danielle, I welcome you to this group. Well, thanks so much for the uh, invitation and for this incredible reception. Last time I was down in Lethbridge for a public meeting was at the Baylog Cow Palace, <laughs> which is where we had our opening debate during the leadership contest. And I think we've managed to get at least three times as many people here as attended that day. So I thank you very much for your, for your interest and hope that we can have a good discussion in the question and answer period. I have some, some, a few prepared remarks that I, I want to make just to set the context, I think, for the great challenge that we have facing us the, uh, in talking with the organizers of this meeting, they gave, we talked about the theme of, is Alberta ready for the Wild Rose Alliance? And I think Alberta is ready for the Wild Rose Alliance. If you've been hearing, uh, if you've been watching the news lately, you, you have probably been hearing more and more about our new party. For example, a poll that was conducted by Angus Reid in December caused quite a stir just before Christmas. It showed that if a, an election had been held back in December, we were leading by a, a wide margin, and we very likely would have won that election. Well, it's a good thing that the election wasn't held in December, because we wouldn't have been ready for it. We are getting ready for it. We're in the process of building constituencies in all 83 ridings across the province. We're raising money, and we're developing policy. We will be ready to go when the starting gun fires in 2012. We need to be ready to govern if Albertans decide they want us to. But I think it's worth asking, why are so many Albertans ready to elect a party that formed only two years ago, that lost a seat, its only seat in the 2008 election, a party which until now had a hard time getting more than 100 members to its annual general meeting? If people don't like the PCs, why don't they vote for the Liberals? Why don't they vote for the NDs? I'll not say too much against the other parties. I don't agree with them, but I don't think you get too far in life throwing rocks and slinging mud at others. I'd rather talk about what we would do if Albertans give us the responsibility of forming government in 2012. Before I decided to run for leader of the Wild Rose, I was a longtime supporter of the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta. But over the past five or six years, I could see that the party was moving away from me, and moving away from my values as an Albertan. I suspect many of you have felt the same. P 
People have asked me what makes Wild Rose different from the other parties. Let me start by saying that I think the Wild Rose is the Conservative Party that the PCs pretend to be. I want to start with talking about the principles on which our party is built. I believe the first question we have to ask is what is the role of government? Government is elected by the people of Alberta and works for the people of Alberta. Government's main purpose is to ensure our freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, and most importantly, economic freedom. Government's job is to set the rules of the game and to enforce them, but then to get out of the way and allow businesses to compete. Government should not be the first resort. It should be the last resort. Individuals, and most importantly, families, are the fundamental building block of society. When something goes wrong, it's the family that's the first line of defense. And after that, it's the charities, nonprofits, and other community groups which provide the second line of defense. That's why individuals, families, and communities must be free to govern themselves in their own ways without a whole lot of interference from the legislature. Government decision-making should also be decentralized. The level of government that is closest to the people is best able to make decisions in the best interests of those in their community, whether that's the local school, the local hospital, or the local city council. Government is a democracy, and that applies to caucus and cabinet as much as it does to the general electorate. MLAs don't work for the leader, and they don't work for the party. They work principally for the people who elected them. In the Wild Rose Party, we value free enterprise. We value less government. We value personal freedom. We value democracy. And generally, I find Albertans share these values. And when one is firmly grounded in values, they translate into policy quite easily. Let me use a few examples to show you how our values can translate into how we would address some of the thorniest problems facing the Alberta government today. First off, let's talk about the budget deficit. We called the most recent budget a train wreck, and it is. Finance Minister Ted Morton delivered an all-time record deficit for this province of $4.7 billion. But it doesn't stop there. We also have a hidden deficit of an additional $2.8 billion in the form of borrowing for capital spending. This year, that means we have a total cash shortfall of $7.5 billion dollars. To understand just how out of whack our spending has become, consider this. The government is also budgeting to bring in about $7.5 billion of resource revenue. To run a balanced budget, we would need $15 billion worth of resource revenues this year, an amount that we've never achieved in Alberta history. It's quite clear that what we're experiencing right now is not a revenue problem, it's a spending problem. And it's one that economists and commentators have been warning the government about for over a decade. You may have seen last week that the Wild Rose Caucus released our own alternative budget. We have a strategy for how we would bring the budget back into balance by next year. And we also had a plan for how we would reduce the current budget deficit by 60%. There's a few simple ways we can do it. Number one, we would restrain capital spending. Alberta spends nearly double what other provinces spend on capital. If we had simply spread out our capital spending plan over four and a half years, 
Rather than trying to cram $20 billion worth of spending into the next three years, that would have saved us close to $3 billion this year alone off the budget deficit. Secondly, we would restrain operational spending growth. We simply cannot continue to increase spending at more than double the rate of inflation and population growth as we have been doing. If we had kept program spending in line with inflation and population over the last 10 years, we would not be running a budget deficit at all this year. We would actually be running close to a $4 billion surplus. Restraining program spending to 3.5%, which is the targeted number next year for inflation and population growth, would have shaved more than a billion dollars off this year's budget deficit. The third thing we would do is end corporate subsidies. Remember, under the old Ralph Alberta Advantage days, one of the lines that we talked about is how we would not be in the business of business. Well, we are right back there again. Carbon Capture and Storage Fund, the Alberta Green Trip Fund, the Alberta Venture Capital Fund, all of these have the potential to be billion-dollar boondoggles. We do not believe in corporate welfare. We do not believe that governments can pick winners. We believe that when governments try to pick winners, it's Alberta taxpayers that end up the losers. Fourth, we would address the management-to-worker ratio in the public service. Remember last year when the government announced that they were paying out $44 million in bonuses to the civil service managers? Well, the good thing about knowing that number is now we know how many managers we have in the civil service. 6,700 people qualified for those management bonuses. We have 30,000 people in the civil service. That means we've got one manager for every four employees. Now, for those of you who are in the private sector, you might think that's a bit high. Let me give you a way to compare it. Let's compare it to a company like WestJet. Now, keep in mind, WestJet is a top performer, and there's a good reason why they continue to run profit quarter after quarter, even in these hard economic times. They have 7,500 employees, and they have 300 managers. So that's a, an employee-to-manager ratio of 25 to 1, one manager for every 25 employees. What this says to me is that we can flatten out the civil service organization. We can eliminate many of those middle management jobs without affecting frontline services. In fact, we'd probably improve frontline services. We certainly do not need to see reductions in teachers, education assistants, nurses, or doctors. The second problem I'll turn to is the issue of royalties. As we all know, the Alberta government is in the middle of releasing its competitiveness review, and it should release the results in the next few weeks. I think the question we have to ask is, what kind of government fundamentally changes its royalty framework and then does a study afterwards to determine whether or not we're still competitive? They got it backwards. They go now we're getting mixed messages from the ministers responsible about what the review is actually going to contain. The finance minister suggests there will be fundamental changes. The premier and the energy minister suggest there won't be. It is one more example of how the government refuses to accept responsibility for shattering investor confidence in our province and how its confusing mixed messages continue to create uncertainty for investors. The Wild Rose Caucus is preparing our own response to the competitiveness review. We have a strategy for how we would restore Alberta's reputation as a safe, fair, and predictable place to do business. There are a few ways we could go about it. I'll first talk about a couple of the options on the royalty side and then say a brief word about regulation. 
In the first case, we need to reduce the top rates. Last year, I had announced I was running for the leadership, and one of the first events I went to was with the Fraser Institute. They were releasing the results from their 2009 petroleum survey. They go out and talk to 500 or 600 uh, business investors and get them to give their opinion of which jurisdictions are the best place to invest in oil and gas. In the past, Alberta has ranked in the top 10. Last year, we were ranked number 92. We were sandwiched between Poland and Hungary in the assessment of our business climate for oil and gas investment. Quite simply put, having a top rate of 50% for conventional oil and gas development, as we do now under the new royalty framework, is punitive and it's excessive. These top rates need to be dramatically reduced and they need to kick in at much higher prices if we're going to restore investor confidence. The second thing we could do is we could go back to the framework for oil and gas development that we had before. And again, I'm talking about conventional oil and gas. As I've talked to those in the oil sands industry, they seem fairly pleased with the changes that were made in the oil sands framework. It's not as punitive as what we did on the conventional oil and gas side. It is possible that we would need to do something more dramatic than simply reducing the top rate. When the royalty framework came in last January, we've already seen five major adjustments to the program to be able to incent more drilling activity. I think that's a clear sign that they made a fundamental mistake when they brought it in. Perhaps what we need to do is to simply go back to the top rates that we had under the old conventional oil and gas regime under Ralph. The third thing we could do, though, is consider sharing the, with the uh, municipal jurisdictions. We have several jurisdictions in the world that do a cost-sharing arrangement between the central or provincial government and local municipalities that are being impacted by the development. Part of what I think was fueling the fair share propaganda campaign was the belief municipalities had that if more money came into provincial coffers, that they would be able to share in some of that additional revenue. A revenue-sharing agreement with municipalities that are impacted may be one way that we can avoid making the same kind of costly mistake again in the future, something we'd have to consider. The fourth thing is we have to get red tape under control. One story that's made the news recently, you may have read about it, was an energy company that was seeking regulatory approval for two pilot projects, one in Saskatchewan and one in Alberta. The Saskatchewan project took 56 days to get approval. The Alberta project took two years. Saskatchewan's process is 10 times faster, 10 times. And much as I appreciate our friends and neighbors in Saskatchewan, I think you will agree that in a province like Alberta that is supposed to be a beacon for free enterprise, energy, and entrepreneurs, this kind of delay and unnecessary red tape is simply unacceptable. We must do better. The third problem I'll discuss is health care. The most recent budget gave an 18% year-over-year increase to the health care budget. That's $2 billion more. To me, this is an absolute admission of failure, that the new super board is simply not working. I don't believe... <laughs> it's true. I simply don't believe that Albertans will believe. They'll be fooled into thinking that more money going into the health super board is going to result in better results. We've seen otherwise. It seems the more money we spend, the worse results we get. This is because we're pouring money into a broken system. We have to fix the system if we're going to get better results.
The Wild Rose Caucus believes fixing the health care system will be the, one of the top issues that we'll be campaigning on in the next election. We have a strategy for how we would create a system that would give Albertans the health care they want and need when they want and need it. First, we would look to European health care. Let's start by looking at health care systems that work. There are many jurisdictions in the world that have established universal publicly funded health care systems, but there are seven of them that have also managed to eliminate waiting lists. The Fraser Institute looked at, at these countries. Uh, they are Austria, France, Germany, Belgium, Luxembourg, Switzerland, and Japan. They have created systems that not only cost less than what we're, what we're paying here in Canada and in particular in Alberta, but they also deliver better results. Second thing is we need to operate within the Canada Health Act. I think there's been a lot of reform efforts that have been derailed because politicians talk about how they're going to challenge the Canada Health Act or get into a fight with Ottawa. What ends up happening is that just riles people up and it derails any conversation, any constructive conversation of reform. Our members have told us they want us to operate within the Canada Health Act. And that doesn't necessarily bind us into making some bold steps. As I mentioned, when the Fraser Institute looked at those seven systems that worked, they developed a series of 11 proposals that would help move us in the direction of those systems. Eight of them can be done under the umbrella of the Canada Health Act. And these are the, some of the things that we see in those systems. Things like activity-based funding, things like medical savings accounts for long-term care, as well as for non-insured services, looking at P3s, looking at establishing smaller surgical centers, doing dedicated surgeries outside of the expensive hospital environment, eliminating caps on medical school enrollment for nurses and doctors, and there's a number of others. The point is we can make a lot of changes in the healthcare system that will improve performance and still honor the principles of the Canada Health Act. I do want to talk briefly, though, about activity-based funding because this is going to be one of the most important reforms that we can make to this system. Paul Hinman has been talking about this for at least five years. I know that he mentioned it in the leadership debate. He talked about the funding following the patient. And the reason this is so important is because the way we fund hospitals now is we give them a block grant. Whether they treat 5,000 patients or 500 patients, it doesn't matter. They get the same amount of money. So when a patient shows up, the administrators look at them as a cost, and they have no incentive to try to increase the number of patients that they serve. If you switch to a model of activity-based funding, when a patient shows up, they're looked at as a customer and a source of revenue. And the more customers you treat, the more revenues you get. It completely changes the incentive structure in the system. This is called activity-based funding. And it won't be a complete cure-all for the system, but it would result in some dramatic improvements, as we've seen in other jurisdictions around the world. I also want to talk briefly about the benefits of site-based management because when you do activity-based funding, what you're doing is you're downloading the revenues as well as the responsibility to the level of the individual hospital. And this is going to have some very positive results as a, as a consequence. First, let me talk about staffing. There was a young gal that I met on the campaign trail in Nanton. And she worked at a long-term care facility. I just want to give you an idea of some of the difficulties that we have and the inefficiencies that have grown up in the system that we have. In her hospital, they're not, the nurses aren't permitted to change the light bulbs at the bedside table. 
So, uh, but the problem is the maintenance staff goes home at 3 o'clock. So when do you find out that the light bulb is burned out? Well, it's after everyone's gone home. So she has to go to her manager, and the manager then has to go over to the manager of the maintenance staff, and then the next day the maintenance staff manager talks to the janitor who goes in and changes the light bulb. These are the kinds of rigidities that we have in the system that would that would be broken down if we allowed for more site-based management. We would end up, I think, with a more sensible use of resources. The second thing I'll mention is about purchasing, because I think that there is a sense that because we're centralizing the purchasing, we're always going to be able to get the best deal. That doesn't necessarily happen in the medical equipment area. Paul likes to tell a story about... Uh, uh, a family member whose wheelchair was broken, and it was the lift on the wheelchair. There was a little part that was that needed to be replaced. So he took it off and went and sourced it online. It was $145 if he'd been able to buy it, but you couldn't because it's medical equipment. So he goes through the health region to get it, and the cost is $1,200. So this is what's happened in our system. We have these sole source bulk contracts, but I wonder how often we're checking to see whether or not we're getting the, be the best deal. I saw this when I was on the school board in Calgary, is that we had, a, a, sole we had a, a, a contract that we had signed with a computer company. We got a great deal on our servers, but then the costs that our schools were paying for computers were astronomical. We kept getting calls from parents saying, why do I have to use this company? They're charging me $1,500 a computer. I could go down the street to London Drugs and get them for $700. So sometimes when you centralize decision-making, you don't necessarily end up saving money. Sometimes you can end up building in additional costs that are unnecessary. And the last thing I'll say is about the management. I'd already talked about the staffing to management ratio in the general public service. We have this same problem in the healthcare system. One young guy who worked on my campaign works at a hospital in Banff. Under the old regional system, they had to go through two layers of management before a decision could be made in his hospital. Now under the new super board, they actually have to go through eight layers of management before decisions can be made in his hospital. I met another doctor at an event that I spoke at yesterday, and he said when the health region change came through with the super board, they sent out an org chart so that people could see what the new configuration was for the organization. It was 70 pages long. So we have not leaned out the administration by moving to the super board, much as the government would have us believe otherwise. The way we start leaning out that part of the organization is by allowing for more site-based decision-making, more local hospital administrators having the revenues and the means to make those decisions. I think that that's the solution. So when you value democracy, you value choice. In Alberta, we do not elect oppositions. We elect governments, always. Every so often, there are seismic shifts in the political landscape. In Alberta, where we stand up and we say, you've lost your way, and we sweep the old party aside so a new and better alternative can come in and do what so badly needs to be done. The Wild Rose was developed to be a right-of-center choice to the Stelmac Tories. We were created in response to a void in the political spectrum. Now it's up to us to change the direction of our province. So far, I've talked a bit about policy, but something else matters even more, something that's a bit harder to express. I'm referring to values, continuity, and vision. And I think it's in this respect that our party differs the most from the progressive conservatives. I didn't really come here today to criticize the conservatives. I think you all know why you're here. I want to talk about Alberta as it began, as it is, and as it should be. Why did people come here? What did they hope to find? And why do so many people still come here? 
We all know how Alberta began with those incredibly brave settlers who began, who, be, who began by flooding into this place over a century ago. As we all know, there wasn't much here, nothing but empty prairie and bush, hardly a road or a building or a well, no food except for what you could grow. Some of the original people who settled east of here, just north of Lloyd, were my own ancestors on my mum's side, the Hawkinses. Back in the 1800s before they moved here, they were homesteading on the Kansas Plains, on my dad's side, we came from the Ukraine. My great-granddad was Philippus Kolodniki from Galicia. When he got to Canada, some immigration bureaucrat renamed him Philip Smith. <laughs> I guess it was easier to spell. Uh, the Hawkinsons started farming, and Philip Smith, he was a CPR switchman. It's good for us to remember those early times because it's those people and those times that stamped the Alberta character. And it's good sometimes to consider why they came here at such great sacrifice and risk. Was it for an easy life? Was it so someone would lack, look after them? That wasn't the case. They wanted to build a new society where they could take responsibility for themselves and where they could build their own communities in their own way. People like Philippus Kolodniki wanted to be free from the stifling authoritarianism and extreme poverty of Eastern Europe. People like Jim Hawkins from the plains of bloody Kansas wanted to find a place unstained by the tragedies of human history. They came for the opportunity of what was called the last best West, and they were determined to make the best of it. And it seems clear to me that that's why people always come here and why they keep on coming, to get ahead to make a positive difference, to build anew, to be free of the tragedies and pointless hatreds of human history, to contribute, to earn their own way, and to help others do the same. But somewhere, somehow, and it's been slowly over time, I think the present government has lost sight of this. Instead of helping Albertans get ahead as Albertans, their focus now seems to be just on getting into government and staying in government. To me, the most unsettling proof of this was the decision of our present Premier in his bid to win the PC leadership to set Albertans against their own base industry. It was a calculated political strategy, and it worked for him, but it's created lasting economic and political division and damage to the province. And I don't think we've seen the end of it. I believe, in fact, this will perhaps in hindsight, go down as the single worst decision any premier of this province has ever made. This sort of divide-and-conquer political agenda creates exactly what Albertans have always been determined to avoid, the idea of government as arbitrary master instead of as willing servant. This is what we see in the legislature today, and this is why Alberta now leads the country in low voter turnout and apathy. Why vote? They're going to do what they want to do anyway. This is why there's a Wild Rose Party and why I ran for the leadership of it, to give Alberta back to Albertans, to reunite our province, north and south, Calgary and Edmonton, rural and urban. Now, I know it won't be easy to dislodge the rich and powerful PC machine, but keep this in mind. Every new party that has ever governed this province has done exactly what we're doing, First, the United Farmers, then the Social Credit, and lastly, the Lougheed Conservatives. They all arose, seemingly out of nowhere, and swept the old group out so a new and better group could take over and do what so badly needed to be done. They all started with nothing. Nothing except these three things. 
The vision of a better future, the courage to speak honestly, and a love for Alberta that unifies the whole province and makes us absolutely unstoppable. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow Albertans, the Wild Rose Alliance follows squarely in this unbroken and powerful tradition. We have the ideas, we have the courage, and we have the skill and the passion to unify, inspire, and move Alberta forward. What matters to the province of Alberta right now is building the Wild Rose Party into a party that's capable of forming government in the next election. And to do that, we need your help. If you want a party in government that is accessible and willing to listen to issues and concerns, then we need your help to build the Wild Rose Alliance across the entire province. If you want a party in government that not only respects business, but will be a champion for small business owners and risk-takers, like many of you in the room, then we need your help. If you want a party that will think and consult before making important decisions that can affect the stock market, the business climate, and the ability of you and your employees to get the job done, then we need your help. If you want a party that will help get government costs under control and will be accountable to all shareholders, each and every Albertan, then we need your help. Together, we have a unique opportunity to build something that has meaning and impact. Together, we can create a government that reflects our unique heritage and at the same time makes us a leader in Canada and around the world. Together, we can correct the problems of the exhausted and declining Tory dynasty and build a new partnership that respects business, encourages the entrepreneur, and looks out for those who need our help. If you agree with the values I've spoken about today, please leave here today thinking about what you can do to make the province better. And what can you do? Well, we need outstanding candidates. We need advice and guidance. And of course, to carry the message to Albertans and give them the hope that our party brings, we need your generous and continued financial support. Together, we can build this province back up to the province that was the end economic engine of North America. Together, we can restore the value that government has for free enterprise, democracy, accountability, personal freedom, transparency, and true consultation so that we can make the best decisions for Alberta. Together, we can ensure that the people of this province control the government. Let's work together to build the Alberta that we all deserve. Thank you. Thank you.